Action! Welcome to Torn Stubbs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We continue our celebration of 21st century horror with Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. Joshua. Danny, played by Florence Pugh, is still reeling from the recent murder-suicide of her parents and her sister. When her boyfriend Christian, played by Jack Rayner, goes on a trip to a remote Swedish commune with his friends... Danny tags along, blissfully unaware that he's wanted out of their relationship for months. As they are welcomed into the idyllic Scandi community, it soon becomes clear that something sinister is afoot. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Because <laughs> that's all that happens, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this came out, what, a year after Hereditary. So it was re- a really quick turnaround. I really think. quick, yeah. Crazy. It's almost like slasher movie quick in terms of you make a film, suddenly it's a big hit and everyone wants a sequel within the next sort of nine months. Yes, um, but I would imagine that it wasn't a case of Hereditary came out, then they started making Midsummer. Midsummer was probably already in writing and production before Hereditary had even come out. Yeah, I think they greenlit it pretty much the week Hereditary sort of really made it big. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, I guess that he was kind of beavering away at it, but Mm. then he didn't actually get the green light until Hereditary was this enormous horror phenomenon. Uh But he he was initially approached to make sort of like a hack-em-up slasher film set in Sweden. And he was like, "Um, I don't really know how I would do that. (laughs) And so instead he decided to do this film, which is more about, more of like a folklore, um, another kind of grief-tinged, tale um but this is this very much takes advantage of the fact that it's americans abroad in sweden in the middle of nowhere um in a they don't know the language they don't know really what the hell is going on they don't know the customs Um, they don't know the culture they don't know the customs they don't know anything to the degree that it actually gets a bit ridiculous that they don't know anything because (laughs) it's like some stuff happens that you would really think they would tell them beforehand (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe Just just a few things just a few yeah, things. Like Pelle, Pelle is um is Christian's friend who's Swedish and he's from this commune. Mm. And he sort of is the one who invites them to come to the commune in the first place. But he doesn't really tell them anything about it. He just says it's like this amazing custom thing that we do. Um and so when something really horrific happens, he's like, Oh guys, I'm so sorry that I didn't tell you about <laughs> yeah, you know, it uh, sorry it, about that. It really slipped my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, had you seen it before? I did. I saw it at the um, Peckinplex again because I'm obviously a glutton for punishment. And in it was absolutely packed. It was a different screen to the one that I saw Hereditary in. Uh-huh. And um, it was absolutely jam-packed, which was quite... I think maybe I saw it later in the day, so obviously it would be a busier screening than a midday screening. But it was fully packed. Um, and I was kind of a bit nervous about that having been burned by the hereditary experience but actually <laughs> people were sort of really into it and um there was a bit of kind of like talking and stuff but you know you get that don't you so yeah i had seen it before and 
I thought it was all right. I mean, stylistically, it's it's sort of, you know, immaculate. It looks fantastic. It looks beautiful. Casting, brilliant. But I just feel like the film doesn't really do anything particularly surprising. You know, the the, the ending is completely a foregone conclusion you know you know the second anyone mentions the the may queen you know that danny is going to end up being the may queen and it takes a good two hours before that happens so i think the real problem with midsummer is that it just doesn't do anything that genuinely surprises you Um, but we'll get into that have you have you seen it before yes so i went to see it at picturehouse central same place i saw hereditary Mm. and I didn't really know what to think when I was going in because I don't even think I'd seen the trailer. I just saw that okay. the guy who had made Hereditary also made this film called Midsummer, and mm-hmm. it was maybe some pagan shit. So, but I didn't know. Actually, maybe I actually I probably didn't know anything about the pagan shit because mm-hmm. I was complete. I I felt I had the, I felt I had the carpet completely ripped from underneath me you know, the rug Mm. completely ripped from underneath me because I thought I was about to watch something about the death of a parent and a child and Mm. a bleak aftermath of that. I didn't know that it was going to go... That's it. I didn't know it was going to go off to, like, a different country and be all about a brightly lit, (laughs) you know, landscaped, filled, pagan thing. So I never really got over that cinematic portrayal shock i I didn't just (laughs) just didn't get over that so i i found the film tedious and i didn't want to watch it and i found it boring and i found it just fucking ridiculous and i walked out feeling like i'd wasted two and a half hours of my life i really did not like it i disliked it immensely and then i think in january this year i watched it again yeah, for the second time, because it it come on one of the streaming services. So I put it on, and I was in a different headspace, because now I knew, mm. now I knew exactly what this film was, and I saw mm. the film for what it is, which is a brilliant masterpiece. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Gosh, I was not expecting you to say that. Complete 180. I went from thinking yeah. it was a piece of shit to thinking it is this... <laughs> gorgeous piece of cinematic diamond it is it is a phenomenal Mm. phenomenal film wow okay let's do say more (laughs) no shan't (laughs) i think i think it's again like head again like hereditary you have to rewatch it time and time again and you will notice things you will notice Mm. that it was all preordained the opening tableau tells you everything that's about to happen even little yeah. things like there's this there's this inconsequential scene it's just a talking scene but it's shot from two angles it's the scene when danny played by uh the brand new black widow comes over mm-hmm. to the flat to basically say it, it's the scene that she first meets pele yeah right and she walks in and on one side of the room is danny by the front door and on the other side of the room you've got the boys including will Poulter, who plays a guy called mark 
He's on the mm-hmm. right-hand side of the screen when the camera's looking at him. But when the camera's looking at Danny, on the right-hand side of the screen is like a fridge or a cupboard or something. And on top of the fridge or the cupboard or whatever it is, is a framed illustration of the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. It's on the same mm-hmm. side of the frame as Mark, which completely mm. foreshadows that he is going to be turned into a scarecrow later on. He's going to be yeah. skinned and, and stuffed with hay. So it's mm-hmm. little things like that that I love. I love little stuff like that. You know, when, when Christian is called into one of the elders' meeting rooms and he's in, yeah. he's in the waiting room and he's just looking at the illustrations on the wall and it's a picture of a bear on fire. Mm-hmm. It's just little things like that that I think are happy Easter eggs, but without being yeah. obvious. You know, this is not this is not Skyfall, the James Bond film where they... <laughs> dotted the whole thing with references to the previous James Bond films and they did the same in Die Another Day it actually makes sense you know there would be these tableaus on the wall and there would be the tableau at the beginning and the thing opens like like a like a theatre curtain yeah like a picture book a theatre curtain and then when they actually enter the the commune they're walking through you know it, it looks like the opening of a theatre stage and they're the ones who are mm. actually going to be the performers. They are the, the puppets that are being controlled by this commune. And you have to think, mm. how far back did the control go? Was Pele sent out into the world? I mean, he clearly was sent out into the world to find the sacrifices because they, they congratulate him. They elevate him to a, yeah. a new level or something at the end. He's not burnt, but they, they congratulate him. So how has he been controlling this? Did he kill Danny's family? Oh, interesting. I never, I actually never thought of that because I, I was more wrapped up in the, the kind of slightly disturbing notion that if someone has bipolar, they're going to kill all of their family and then themselves. And I was a bit like, mm, I feel not like always. that's probably not a very positive. <laughs> that's probably not okay. No, so I, I mean, didn't like actually Stephen think Fry. that maybe she didn't do it at all. No, when Stephen Fry goes manic, he sort of buys lots of iPods. <laughs> yeah. He loves buying stuff from yeah. Apple. He's been quite open about that. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting sort of theory. But I I don't know. I also think that as much as I love all of the little sort of Easter eggy things as much as you do, I think they were maybe more effective in Hereditary because you get more of a sense of sort of the other power at work. Whereas in Midsommar, the fact that there's a picture of a scarecrow near Will Poulter, I just didn't really, I don't really see how that, that is more like the filmmaker telling us something rather than the story telling us something. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that one. But when Pele first meets Danny, he shows her a picture of the May Queen. And then Mm. he says... I'm so very happy you are coming to Sweden. Oh, yeah. And then when oh, yeah, they, they arrive at the commune, the older mm-hmm. guy who, who first meets them shakes everyone's hand, but then hugs Danny and says, yeah. welcome home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's all about that kind of indoctrination of somebody from the outside. Um, and it's, yeah, and I guess the, the reason that she is so receptive to this, you know, cult, it is a cult, the reason she's so receptive to it is because she has this like dipshit boyfriend who actually doesn't love her oh, and doesn't an want awesome. to be with her. 
and also she's just lost her family so it, yeah. it totally sort of connects that if Pele removed her family and sort of had her um be sort of in the depths of grief and despair then that yeah i can see it totally see why that would be sort of like what actually happened because it would make her more open to this sort of really loving family that she's she's brought to you know if you've got a dead family and a absolute arsehole of a boyfriend suddenly you can almost like overlook the self-sacrifice and like the face face pummeling and the uh you know all the horrific stuff that they do and just look at it as like my family it definitely plays with the horror conventions i think more than hereditary yes well yeah because it taps into that wicker man 70s paganism yeah but i think it goes deeper than that i think this is a slasher but Mm. it's only a slasher in the second half when people start disappearing one by one first of all it's Mm. Uh, Connie's boyfriend. I can't remember his name. Simon. 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 Then Connie. Mm. Then Mark yeah. disappears. Um, then Josh. Then Josh. Oh, that's it. And then that's just the end. Well, then, then you have the, the then you have the big finish. But also, it's mm. a teen. It's a teen drama. You've got the teen drama tropes. You've got the hot popular girl at school. You've got the dickhead mm. boyfriend, the obnoxious best friend. You've got sort of a geeky slash intelligent friend and then you've got like an exotic slash foreign friend (laughs) okay yeah yeah i I definitely i could see that i mean it's different to a slasher in many ways but mostly because a slasher movie shows the death or kind of glories in the actual death itself and like how it's done uh but this film is more about what what it symbolizes kind of what they've done afterwards to the body how they've used the bodies and stuff yeah so it's almost like yeah it definitely is a slasher film in in sort of in the body count respect but i mean as ariasta calls it a breakup movie dressed in the clothes of a folk horror film which i can agree with that is it's it's true but actually i think one of the reasons i was disappointed in the film the first time is that I had read around the film and I'd read him say that about the fact that it's a breakup movie. And I think that I got frustrated with the lack of focus on that relationship. You know, it kind of, the narrative kind of ambles around a lot and it doesn't really, it doesn't really look into their relationship particularly deeply. Um, but does and it, it need kind to? of starts to... Does it need to? Don't we just need to know that he's a dick no and he's gaslighting her and she's complicit in that you know when when um when she tells pele that it's her birthday and then he's a bit horrified that christian forgot and she immediately puts the blame on herself like oh i didn't remind him yeah yeah. yada 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 so it it does it just we just don't need to know their origin story we don't we don't need to know Mm. when they met was it three and a half or four years ago we just need to know that they've reached the point where he's a dick she's letting him be a dick for whatever reason but there is a Mm. great moment when she realizes how much of a dick he is what's that so oh when he brushes her off to talk about uh who's fucking incest yeah it's the incest thing yeah yeah because then in the next scene when they're talking about Simon leaving Connie, she goes like, that's totally something you could do. You would do to me. She begins. And that's, that's, and that's also where the, um, you know, around that, that's where the, the slasher element is brought into it. 
Yeah, I think on a, on a second watch, I didn't find it quite so... It didn't throw me off quite as much. I actually, I think I probably enjoyed it more the second time because I wasn't expecting it to do more than I hoped it would. Um, and I kind of knew what it was doing more. So I actually, I think I enjoyed it more the second time, definitely. Is it an energy thing? Is it, did, mm. does the cult feed off of the energy that is brought to them? Um, it's well, it's about rejuvenation, isn't it? Yeah, so it's them bringing fresh blood, fresh energy from the outside of their own community and using it to sort of rejuvenate themselves, I guess. Yeah. I think there's a... I think there's links to nature. There's a when they were on mushrooms at their first stop <laughs> before they actually got to the commune. Pelly says, "This look, the trees are breathing. Nature just knows instinctively mm. how to stay in harmony. Everything just mechanically doing its part." Which makes me yeah. think that 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 bolsters the idea that this was all preordained. That no matter what you do to nature, it will always, always correct itself and get back on the course it was meant to. That's a really interesting idea. Yeah, definitely. But it's like you you couldn't say whether or not they were responsible for sort of like shepherding that. Because, you know, they've decided, have they decided that they are integral to the process? That they kind of are upholding the the natural world and if they went away then everything would fall into chaos like maybe I mean, are they maybe are they that, actually relevant or not maybe that's it i mean maybe that they're, they're you know they have that they have that um is it reuben reuben the, the reuben, reuben yeah. the inbred kid who is on a different intelligent and spiritual plane because he hasn't got any of the the anxieties and worries that everyone else has so it's mm. they get their you know, they get their their scripture from him. They look at the images and they interpret. So has he previously drawn out this whole thing? Is that where all the, the, the tableaus and the drawings come from? Oh, yeah. So is their role, do they see their role as merely removing the obstacles that would get in the way of what nature wants to do? So yeah. that would go back to Pele killing Danny's parents. Mm-hmm. Pele almost getting in the way of christian and danny yeah 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 definitely he seems to be a bit of a you know a a, a linchpin he seems to be Mm. you know like a thorn in everyone's side but in the friendliest yeah yeah swedish kind of way (laughs) yeah what did you think about ruben as a piece within this narrative he he didn't play or seemingly he doesn't play the biggest part but if everything stems from what he is drawing then he is the big bad baddie that is behind all the elders because we never really see Mm. the elders together in in conference they're never Mm -hmm. they're never in their conclave having a bit of a chat you know they're out and about on the stage or in front of everyone talking and leading things but we never see them actually discussed we don't see them praying we don't see them with the scriptures so someone is pulling the strings Mm. and it clearly the responsibility is on Ruben but is he does he have the mental you know is he is he aware enough to know what they are doing with his Mm. drawings 
Do you think the fact that he is the product of incest and like inbreeding, do you think that excuses the fact that he kind of is a bit of a trope in in the terms of like the sort of disabled mystic? You know, there's like, it's such a trope to have this kind of um, representation. Like you've got it in... um, I can't think what else is in, but it's very much like a. It's just it's very much like a trope. Are you talking about just well, like, it's like it's like the freak person, like a like the one that goes. I yeah. gotta go get Carrie Ann out the TV. That one from a. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Zelda Rubenstein. It's like the freak show inper- inverted commas thing, where it's like if they're different and sort of potentially disabled, then they are. Therefore, mystic. they're weird yeah. and they're on a different plane of thought. Yeah, and it can. So it does can, it can it can lean into that. It can lean into into the yeah. horror trope. It's uh, you know, there's a discussion to have around that. But yeah, I think you might be right. Mm. But because he's a product of incest, is it kind of like the film excusing itself from any of that responsibility towards sort of positive representation of disabled people? You know, it's kind is of it's perpetuating though? the. Would he consider himself disabled? Or he's just. Mm. Well, no, yeah, that's the question. Is like he looks. He looks different to everybody else, and he's also treated different to everybody else. Well, he's treated different because because of his skill. He's he he's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. he's not looked down upon. He's looked up to. He is on a higher plane mm-hmm. to everyone. They they take their lead from what he is producing in his drawings, his insight. So, if anything, mm. it's it's a positive representation because suddenly he's mm. he's the highest power within this commune. But it's not necessarily positive because he looks like miserable and you you never see him anything other than on his own you know when we first see him we have a close-up of his face we're given no context for where he actually is within the scene he's completely separate from everybody else and then when there's the scene of um christian uh impregnating the the cult the commune girl we then get a shot of reuben on his own in the bed looking kind of like slightly traumatized but you know he can obviously hear it so it's almost like they woke him up with their fucking (laughs) but it's like you can't have you can't have both you can't sort of say oh it's positive because he's seen as somehow better than everybody else and then actually he's got this completely isolated seemingly miserable existence it doesn't is he is he is he isolated because he doesn't think like everyone else so he couldn't possibly have the same concerns or conversations with people he's quite happy on his own you know he is he the Mm. typical only child who grew up alone and is very comfortable being on their own possibly let's ask him all the way let's move on from midsummer (laughs) please welcome to the podcast (laughs) moving (laughs) the jumping lady the one who threw herself off the cliff was she looking directly at Danny before she did it? Well, is there kind of a suggestion that she was maybe the May, the May Queen back in the day? Ah. And she is, now that she is kind of, she's come to the end of her life cycle, she is looking at the, the her successor, essentially. She's looking at the next person. And it's almost like Danny is almost looking at her future. You know, that's what she's going to end up like in 40, 50 years' time. But does she know? Because in between... You know, she's completely shocked by the first one, but by the second, mm. with the second jump, the the idiot that missed the the landing. Why did he, why did he do that? Like he was jumping into a paddling pool feet first. 
<laughs> Why did she not have the I same reaction? Fly. <laughs> Look, Ma, no hands. No legs. Look what's happened to your fucking legs. <laughs> no legs. That's awful. Legs, I don't think your knees, mate, I don't think your knees meant to be bent that way. Get up. You're all right. Yeah. Do you need the plaster? Come on, shake it off. Come on, have a cup of tea. Yeah. But she has no reaction. Oh, but she has reaction, but she doesn't have the same reaction. She seems almost accepting of it. So has the yeah. the energy been released from the old maid queen, and it's now in her? Mm, maybe because there's a lot of this breathing going on in the film, yeah. and it seems to be <gasps> seems to be in unison. And when when Danny is crying at the end because she's seen what Christian's doing, they're all around her, like mm. like the witches in in Suspiria, all all kind of absorbing and and uh repeating mm. her her wails yeah yeah but yeah that's like one of the most disturbing things in the film i think that for me that reads on so many different levels mm. that kind of could be seen as uplifting and hopeful like i think the kind of point of that is when pelle says to um What's her name again? Danny. Yeah. When he says, like, does do you feel held by him? Do you fit does he feel like home? And then when she is um sort of really upset that he's he's been shagging that old redhead. Um <laughs> old? All of the, the fucking child. Well, the young, sorry, the young <laughs> redhead. All of the women gather around her, hold her, physically hold her, and sort of share in her pain and grief i read a review um on vulture that completely sums it up really well it's like a a woman's fantasy of revenge against a man who didn't meet her emotional needs so she discovers in this cult um sort of like an emotional support network that she just didn't have with christian you know whenever whenever he's trying to sort of like comfort her he doesn't really bother and she just doesn't really feel like he understands but then when she's screaming they're screaming and it's almost like they can feel exactly what she's feeling and it it's like you know divided between them um so yeah maybe it maybe it that maybe that does kind of register on like an energy level as well is that why they chose her as the may queen because of that scene, because they shared. Because of because oh, was of the that before? That... That's after the May Queen. But no, just I mean, it was obviously preordained. But mm. is that why she was chosen as the May Queen? Because th- could they sense her energy before she had mm. even arrived? Yeah, maybe. Because yeah. there's the idea. There's there's all this this imagery of flowers and and vines sort of winding around everything. Mm. So. Or well, specifically her, like it, it grows in intensity. First, there's just a bit in a bit of grass in her hand. Yeah. On her then feet. her entire feet and ankles are grass. And then when she sits down in the throne, all of the ivy and leaves start to kind of like move around her. Yeah. And on her hat, her, her yeah. flower crown. Her like, winking flower hat. They're like pulsing like cat's yeah. arseholes. <laughs> and the... the um, the bird, the cooked bird on the table kind of yeah. ripples as well. So that's got its own energy too. I mean, that's just bird's eye. That's fine. That's what happens. That's microwave <laughs> stuff. That's got microwave Iceland. stuff. How regretful was that one villager who suddenly realised he was on fire? <laughs> oh, I know. That's he was like. That's really bleak. Oh, I made a bad. I made a. I've made a yeah. terrible decision. No refunds. Does that no mean... refunds. Does that mean that it, it's all fake? That it's all just pageantry, like Pelle said? It's not actually got any spiritual reality to it. You know, they say, oh, this yew tree sap is going to 
free you from pain and fear to to those two guys in there but actually the reality is they die screaming so is that saying it is all pageantry and it's all rubbish or is it saying pain is part of life and sorry but if you're on fire it's gonna hurt kind of thing like nature is unforgiving is it the physical form that the fear and the pain is being Mm. removed is it not their spirit and their energy so once the fire has consumed the physical Mm. body will their spirit which i imagine goes back into the commune in the same way that you know you can you can take rotting fruit or grass or whatever and it goes back into the earth you know compost and all Mm. that all that shit literally is that is that what that whole thing was about I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting that the sacrificial hut was shaped like a triangle because the triangle symbol is from hereditary as well. There's, there's triangles um, all over this film. All yeah. over. Even the way the light falls. Mm. Like the, the light and the shadow create triangles over Danny when mm-hmm. she's crying. The maypole le- uh, the may the the maypole with the with their dancing yeah. around there's a triangle at the top and if you if you carry on with the axis it it makes a triangle triangles seem to be like the big icon in in this film and if there's three points what Mm. what are the three points it's energy fate and mind body soul maybe yeah who do you have sympathy for oh danny all the way that's why it's so effective when she chooses to take revenge at the end Mm. it's kind of like you totally understand and you almost still sympathize with that decision even though she's basically she's murdering him um it's a really complex sort of interesting feeling that you have about that because you're like he is horrible he treats her terribly he's basically emotionally abused her yeah he's completely Um, gaslit her yeah, completely. But does he deserve to and, die uh, dressed as a bear? I know. It's like, does it's again, it's like we were talking about before. Does the punishment fit the crime? It's mm. it's almost like, well, I don't think so. I think punishment would be that he never got to date anyone ever again. And, um, you know, there is, that under, there, is, there is that undercurrent that they very cleverly feed in, which is he doesn't, he's not able to fulfill Danny emotionally and he sees her not able to fulfill him physically. Mm. And so that's kind of like the two paths that they're on and never shall the, the twain or the twixt meet. Um, anyway, I just, yeah, I, th- I think that you do. I, I sympathize with her completely. And it kind of really makes you question why at the end, you know, she gives this smile that is this haunting, haunting smile. That's like, oh God, what have you become? So you, you sympathize with her, but you feel she is justified in sacrificing christian or because she doesn't care about sympathize. the pageantry does she she's not she's only been there well she hates that dress clearly she's like struggling <laughs> away in that dress <laughs> that that dress is no one's friend everyone's bum looks big <laughs> no. in that triangle dress triangle of oh yeah triangle of um of thingies but but she yeah uh you know she doesn't care about she's only been there a couple of days so she doesn't care about the religion or the cult or whatever she's used this as a chance to get revenge mm. you know, she's like but if it is like um like thomason at the end of the witch yeah. she is completely indoctrinated she's turned towards mm-hmm. the dark or the light 
it's really something that the light never goes out there you know the sun never goes out there's constant uv constant <laughs> i love how mark just the the worst american abroad ever he has no idea he's like what do you mean the sun's not going to go down it's like mate you've been no you've known about this trip for months yeah but he wouldn't do any research he's so pele literally told them nothing about sweden clearly so obnoxious i was sat next yeah, to him so annoying. um when i saw 1917 I've oh. I've sat near Will Porter. Mm-hmm. I think he's a brilliant actor. And you wouldn't know he was English. You wouldn't know that, that Florence Pugh no. was English. Well, yeah, Florence Pugh in this is just brilliant. She's she, her phenomenal. face. She's. I think she's one of our best sort of act actors at the moment in, in England. Yeah. yeah, she's just absolutely brilliant. Even when she like in Black Widow, she brings stuff to Black Widow that is just so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, she goes well, disgusting, yeah. oh, disgusting. When she's in, when she's in, <laughs> the, in the, the hot in the, the superhero stance when they they land yeah. on the floor. So funny. Um, are we? She's yeah, she's great. Are we to accept this as a happy ending? Um, oh God, I don't know. I I think that it's nature. It's all about nature, and and if you know if this has enabled nature to sort of like thrive that's kind of happy i think and it's almost like humans are insignificant sort of little things happening on the planet and what's really important is the planet so they can do whatever they like nature will continue so if if it's from nature's perspective yeah it's like it's, it's not really a happy or a sad ending it's just kind of an ending it just is but on in terms of humanity it's pretty fucking bleak. <laughs> but she's happy at the end. You know, she's she's she happy. Genuinely, yeah. you know, she has a lovely smile on her face. She she looks not overjoyed, but she doesn't look miserable. Mm. So she's found happiness, and she's the main character. So are we expected to be happy along with her? I don't think we're expected to be happy with her. I think we're very much meant to feel conflicted about it. Actually, I was going to ask you: Do you? So this is something that I kind of picked up on. Do you think that Ingmar, who's Pele's brother, yeah. and he brought Connie and Simon to the commune? He's the one that burns up Do you up think in the that end. he... Yeah. He's the one that Do you think it. that he brought them because it essentially, in his from his point of view, he was jilted by Connie as a lover? Maybe. Because there's that weird conversation yeah. where she's like, I didn't even know it was a date. And he's like, no, we dated for a while. When but then you date. met Simon. Yeah, maybe Yeah, she's a... like, yeah... It definitely parallels. So you know. he's getting revenge yeah, as well. Yeah, there's a revenge, and you know, Danny gets her revenge. So how many mm-hmm. more people have been brought there as a form of revenge? Yeah, exactly. To become compost. <laughs> Josh's foot, Josh's leg and foot are like yeah. in the soil. Like he's com- he's fermenting in the soil. It's horrible. Do you think they always bring a couple of people of color? Oh yeah, because maybe they're all white there. As yeah, most it Swedes is the whitest are. film you've ever seen yeah, it's, because it's like obviously white clothes as well. Yeah, it's, and it's brightly lit. It's a, I mean, it's a very yeah. it's a white. It's a very white lit. White painted country. buildings. But yeah, there's a couple of people of color. So Joshua was black. Um, Connie and Simon were sort of Indian, Asiany. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's always a thing that even though they probably wouldn't let a person of color do the breeding, they can be yeah. put back into the earth. Yeah, maybe. They probably don't necessarily see it, maybe. They just see there's people as people. You know, flesh is flesh. Would you watch this again? Um, 
I do think it's beautiful, and actually I was really not looking forward to watching it again because it's 2 hours 27 minutes long, it's not a short film, and I wasn't looking forward to watching it a second time, but actually watching it yesterday, even after doing a double whammy with Hereditary, oh, it does have this really bewitching quality to it, and it kind of, it really does um, keep you engaged, and it's interesting. The only thing that I think it detracts from it is that it really is... It's kind of paddling in the same pool as Hereditary. It, you know, it ends up with a very similar kind of motif going on as Hereditary. Yeah. So that's the only... If it was on its own, if I'd never seen Hereditary and it, Hereditary was never made, I think that Midsommar would maybe have more power to it. But as a as like a, the first film after Ariasta did Hereditary, it kind of just feels slightly like a diluted version of hereditary a less polished less sort of um interesting maybe film so would i watch it again probably yeah if, if i had someone that tom hasn't seen it and if he wanted to watch it then we could um how about you i would watch it again i don't think it feels like two and a half hours it's no because it really it, draws you in and you just get lost it does. in it yeah what did you i was so i were not because i speak swedish so i kind of understood pretty much everything that everyone was saying um, not to sound boastful or anything, I just could. But um, how did you feel about the Swedish in the film? Did it make you feel sort of like at a distance and stuff? Well, there was subtitles, wasn't there? Yeah, but it's not always subtitled. Oh, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with that because I didn't feel I didn't <laughs> feel like I was missing any information. But yeah, surely that's that's a device used by Ariasta to keep us with the americans so we're just as lost as them yeah yeah definitely yeah i just find it interesting that apparently according to the internet a lot of swedish people kind of saw this film as a black comedy because obviously <laughs> it it kind of um it kind of taps into imagery of scandinavian folklore and sort of um, art and all that kind of stuff but it's obviously distorted and it's very much it's made up the whole thing is made up yeah. but it uses a lot of uh, swedish imagery a scandinavian imagery so they kind of saw it as this hilarious black comedy apparently which i can totally see because it is pretty ridiculous <laughs> would you well yeah when i saw it the the when christian was in was in, was impregnating the the young ginger girl there there was like the biggest laughter in the mm. screening i went to and it was as if i was watching like a an adam sander or a will ferrell yeah huge would you i mean there's a director's cut out there. So do you, yeah. would you A, want to watch that and B, would you think it would be better with a laughter track? <laughs> I was actually going to ask you if you thought that Ariasta's um, like a good comedian because both, in both films, Hereditary and Midsommar, there's kind of a lot of dark humour yeah. and kind of slightly ridiculous humour. But maybe that's kind of horror and comedy kind of do go together. Um, the the director's cut I did actually do some research into what's in the director's cut uh-huh. I think it adds like a good half an hour or yeah. something I really want to see it but from what I read it doesn't seem to really add much oh. the only things it adds is like more gaslighting stuff another ceremonial moment after the stupa where um, a little boy kind of is almost drowned in the lake as part of a ritual there's just not it doesn't seem to me like there's enough of value to watch the director's cut really so you won't be watching it. So, I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I don't think so. I would gander at it, but I'm very much... I like definitive versions. I don't need five Blade Runners. Mm. You know, I don't need two Midsummers. But if it's available, I'll watch it. It's interesting as well that these films... I'm I'm very interested to see what... um... Ariasa does next because he's now he's doing Disappointment Boulevard with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, it's going to be four and a half hours which, apparently. Oh, for goodness' sake! <laughs> well, it's no one really knows what it's about, but it's it's not horror, so it'll be interesting to see. Similarly to Robert Eggers, yeah. where The Witch and The Lighthouse are almost mirrors of each other. I think that Hereditary and Midsummer are almost mirrors of each other as well. So I'm very interested to see where Ariaster goes next. Is he going to change up the style? You know, there's very similar stylistic things that he does in both of these films that are very effective, but it's kind of like, what are you going to do next kind of thing? I think he's actually just signed on to direct Howard the Duck for Marvel. Oh, that'd be good. I'll watch that. <laughs> as if. Can you imagine how bleak it would be? <laughs> How will the dot go? (laughs) (laughs) That was Midsummer, directed by Ari Aster. Joshua, give us a clue as to what's coming up on the next episode. We are definitely not going on a flight. What could it be? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast so you don't miss that episode. And we are on Twitter at Torn Stubbs Pod. What did you think of Midsummer? Um, let us know. We're off to eat some pew pie. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Winning. <laughs> <laughs>